Today in The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt teaches on the parable of the rich fool. Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, love the one, hate the other. No man can serve both God and money. So I have a kind of decision to make when it comes to my faith. Am I going to live for the things that money can provide, or am I going to live for the things that God promises to provide? Because I can't live for the one and for the other. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, senior pastor and Bible teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. The parable of the rich fool is a story that highlights the fleeting nature of material possession, and it emphasizes the need to prioritize one's relationship with God over earthly riches. Today, Pastor Steve dives into this cautionary tale and teaches us how to seek spiritual wealth and generosity as the true path to a fulfilling life. It's a message titled, The Foolishness of a Non-Generous Life. You can listen online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve. How many of you like to uh, travel? Got any travel fans here? I'm a travel fan. Probably many of you like to travel as well. You know, uh, road trips can be a lot of fun if you have the right people with you and if you're going to an interesting place. There's oftentimes a lot of things to see along the way, and you've probably been on a trip where you were traveling maybe out west or you were traveling to, uh, I don't know, out east Pennsylvania, something like that. Maybe you went to uh, northern Michigan for the fall color tour or something like that. And as you know, you're driving along and they'll have these signs along the way where they say, scenic overlook. And so you have this little debate, well, should we stop? I mean, it looks kind of nice. Well, we need to get there. And, and for me, I have the you know, only an internal debate, and normally I decide to keep going. But when I'm traveling with my family, normally there's voices and they're going, oh, it looks pretty, let's stop. And so we will sometimes stop. And you pull off and then, you, you know, they have a little place where you can look and see out and maybe they you put the quarter in the little thing and you can look. And y'all with me there? You know what I'm talking about? We don't have many in Indiana, you got to go a long way down I-65 before you're going to see a sign that says Scenic Overlook. But other places of the country have them all over. And you can look and then be on your way. Well, here's what we're doing, okay? We're, we're, we've been on the highway of love here for the last couple months as we've been studying agape love from 1 Corinthians 13. And what we're doing uh, here is we're, we're kind of pulling off on one of those scenic overlooks, and we're going to take in a little different view, and we're going to uh, take in an aspect of love and kind of explore it together. I want to talk with you about love's generosity. More specifically, how the love of Christ through the gospel, through his work on the cross, his resurrection, how his incredible generosity to us must transform our hearts into an incredible generosity to God. God was generous to us. When we get that, it creates a generosity to him and to the works that he is doing. Jesus talked a lot about this, probably more than you may realize. It's often said, and it's true, that that, uh, Jesus talked more about resources and money and how we use them than he did heaven and hell combined. 
And you think about that and, and the fact that Jesus came partially to, you know, save us from hell and to save us to heaven. And when you think that he talked about money more than those things, it must be pretty important, don't you think? In fact, when he would talk about money, uh, guess what people would do 2,000 years ago? They got all squirmy as Jesus talked about money. They thought to themselves, why is he talking about that? I mean, we didn't come here to hear about that. We came here to hear about God. And how about some more messages about love? How about more of that John 3 stuff that you were telling Nicodemus, Jesus? We, we like that. We like to hear about God's love to us. We want to hear more about his generosity to us, little less about our need to be generous back to him. We more prefer the former and a little less the latter. So people 2,000 and years, they got squirmy whenever Jesus would talk about money. We have evolved since then, have we not? Oh, I see a little squirming going on right now. Somewhere around 5% of every word Jesus ever said had something to do with money and giving. So I got calculating. That means if Jesus was your pastor, every year, there'd be around five weekends where the entire thing was about this. Aren't you glad Jesus isn't your pastor? You're like, I'm not sure how to answer that. That means if Jesus was the pastor at Bethel Church, which would be a happy day, he would talk a lot with you about this topic, probably more than I have why would Jesus focus so much on this? I mean, why not talk about so many other things that are interesting? I mean, when you know everything, he was infinite in his knowledge. Why not go to all these other things? Why keep coming back to this same theme all the time? Why, Jesus, why are you talking about this? And he answers that question in Matthew 6, 21. He says this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Mark it down. Money and heart always go together. If you want to know where your money is, follow the heart trail. If you want to know where your heart is, follow the money trail. They are so intertwined that Jesus can make a really profound statement like this. Our heart and our money always go together. We could say it this way. If you want to know what your real priorities are, look at your bank account. Look at your bank statement, look at your checkbook, look at your credit card statement. That says more eloquently than anything else what we really value. Now, I'm not expecting a whole lot of amens in this message, okay, so there's no begging for them. But it's true, is it not? Now, people today will protest and will say, oh, no, 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 that's not the case. You can love God with all your heart and it not really make any difference in your stewardship of things. You can do the one without it in fact impacting the other. I give in other ways. I give with my time. I give with my prayers. That's my form of giving. I pray. La, 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 la. Here's what Jesus taught. There are few outward measures of our heart that we have. It's hard to know where somebody's heart's at. We have so few little indicators, but this is one. This is one. Now, that doesn't mean if you give a lot of money to the poor or a church or missions that you're necessarily a godly person, but it does mean this. If you don't, you're not. 
Perhaps I should say that one again. It doesn't mean if you do give to these things that you're necessarily a, a godly person. You can, there's an example of a fellow in the, uh, in, the, in the book of Acts that wanted to give money, you know, and, and that's not necessarily an indication of a right heart. But if you don't, you're not. So cue the sound of weeping and gnashing of teeth on that point right there. And the fact that we get squirmy on this subject, doesn't it really show the truth of what Jesus says, that our money and our hearts are so closely intertwined that we get all sort of uncomfortable when we talk about it. Now, do you think Jesus talked about uh, this all the time because he wanted the disciples' money? Let me tell you something right now. It already was his money. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He did it because he wanted their hearts. And since those two things are so closely together, you can't talk with about the one without talking about the other. Now, towards this goal and this, this, uh, um, in this message, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12, if you would. Luke chapter 12. And we're going to take a look tonight at a parable that Jesus to- tells known as the parable of the rich fool. I want to talk with you about the foolishness of a non-generous life. Our little scenic overlook is this parable, and we begin reading in verse 13. Something kind of dramatic happens. Here's what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now we'll stop there. Here's the scene. The beginning of the chapter, it says that thousands of people had gathered there to hear Jesus' teaching. So you need to think in terms of, uh, this isn't like a polite crowd like here tonight where we have nice comfortable seats and nice straight rows and everyone's sort of understanding that this is a kind of a teaching time. This is like outside and there's the, there's the young rabbi, Jesus. The whole world's talking about him and, and he's there and people are coming from the countryside and they're sitting on the ground and there's thousands of people and there's people along the outside edges. They're standing up and you know they're wrapping all around him and there's no microphones there's no amplification there's he's just talking when all of a sudden from the back this guy just like interrupts and just shouts out something and he says he says teacher tell my brother to share the inheritance with me okay now let's talk about this a second Israel operated according to the Old Testament law and in the Old Testament it categorized how inheritances were divvied out. And uh, this was the rule. The oldest son got a double portion. Okay? And then the rest was just divvied out amongst the rest of the siblings. So the, the oldest son was the firstborn. The, he had a special distinction. So he got a double portion. Now, how many eldest sons think this is a really great idea? I raise my hand with you. I've told my parents I think they had three children too many. So I am wholeheartedly with you on that. Um, So that was the rule. So the situation would seem to be that there was this family, and I know this is going to be shocking to you, but they they were squabbling over money. Can you believe that? Now let's just be honest for a moment. Family plus money equals 
problems, does it not? So apparently the oldest brother is not sharing the inheritance with him like he ought to. And oftentimes, these traveling teachers would act as kind of arbitrators in situations and would, could make possibly a judgment. So here you have this guy. He stumbles across the scene. There's thousands of people. Who's this? Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, I've heard about him. Maybe this is a guy that can help me. And so he very brazenly shouts out from the back, teacher, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. Now, we don't know. The brother could have been standing there himself. The other family members could have been standing there himself. This is a very, I mean, imagine if right now somebody interrupted me and said, hey, preacher, tell my brother over there he owes me money. Now, I don't know anything about the brother, but the fact that this fellow would do it says a lot about him, does it not? And Jesus basically says, listen, I'm not the judge here. I'm not going to, who made me the judge in this? And he just kind of ignores the question, and then he turns to the crowd, and he uses the opportunity of this man's brazen question to teach about what the real problem's going on here. And what he says is, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What was behind the request. I mean, was it, was it this man's sense of justice? Was it his, his uh, sorrow over his mo deceased mother, God rest her soul, her dying wishes that we all would share the money? Is that really what he is concerned about? Jesus, who knows the man's heart, knows what the issue is. This was not a matter of justice. This was a matter of coveting and of greed and of a love of money. He wanted more of it. I want my money and I want it now. And I don't care if it embarrasses my family and their reputation, I want the money. This is not that dissimilar to what Jesus did with the rich young ruler. If you remember the story in Matthew 16, a similar situation, a very rich young man comes up and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, obey the commandments. You know what the Old Testament law says. And the guy says, done, check, did it. And Jesus perceives his heart and he says, I tell you what, go sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow me, and you'll have great riches in heaven. And it says, the man went away sad. He went away sad. And Jesus' conclusion befuddled the disciples. He said, it is very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why is it? Because heart and money are so intertwined. And Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, love the one, hate the other. No man can serve both God and money. So I have a kind of decision to make when it comes to my faith. Am I going to live for the things that money can provide, or am I going to live for the things that God promises to provide? Because I can't live for the one and for the other. When God gets our heart, he gets our money too. When he has our heart, he has our money too. You might begin asking yourself the question tonight, does God have my heart? Who am I in the story? All right, back to the story. He turns from the brother who has made this request. He says, be on your guard against all, ma all manner of covetousness. And now he tells a story, and this is one of Jesus' parables, one of these stories that, uh, where he illustrates a spiritual truth. And this is the story, the parable of the rich fool. And we pick it up now. Here's what it says 
in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. All right, we'll stop there in the story. Note what we already know about this fellow. He's already rich. It doesn't say that he became rich. He's already rich. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, we don't know how he got rich. There's no suggestion that it's sort of a uh, uh, nefarious way that he became a wealthy man. He just has a lot of money. And one particular harvest comes, and it's just like a bumper crop. Now, we don't live in an agricultural, well, we live in Indiana. But I'm guessing most of you are not farmers. Um, although you drove by cornfields to get here today. Um, so put it in your own category. The company that you work for has some amazing invention and everybody in the company gets rich. The stock that you bought, some friends said, hey, buy this little stock. You threw a little bit of money over to it and all of a sudden it takes off. Whatever it is, suddenly this guy goes from being rich to being super rich. I mean, he's got so much grain, which in that day was like money in the bank. He's got so much grain, he doesn't know what to do with it. We don't know how much money. We don't know how much. But here's what we know. The windfall revealed the priorities of the man's heart. Suddenly, he's got all of this money. And what he does with it says a lot about where his heart is. We pick up the story. And he said, this is the rich man, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now that sounds pretty good, don't it? I mean, to suddenly have enough money where all you got to do is find a place to put it. And you need a big barn to put it in. And there's so much in that barn that all you've got to think about from that point on is how you're going to relax on that day, what the menu is going to be like, and how you're going to be merry all the day long. Now, that sounds pretty good. In fact, I would say this fellow would fit right into the American dream, would he not? Is this not the American way? This is what most people in America would dream of. This is like the ultimate. This is, this is the ideal to have this happen. Eat what you want, when you want, be merry all the day. Now, some of you right now are going, your eyes are like glazing over. You're like, yeah, that would be so awesome to have it all. Well, I want you to notice, first of all, the rich fool's self-absorption here. Notice in the text that in a manner of three verses, he manages to say the words I and my 12 times. What is conspicuous from its absence in his response is there is not one consideration of what God would have him to do. There is no mention of thankfulness for God's provision of it in the first place. There is no thought of how to assist others, aid others in any way. Everything is about him, how he can be comfortable, how he can relax, how he can be all that he wants to be. This is the self-absorbed man. All his thoughts are about himself. 
Now, Jesus lays out the man's not-so-strategic plan in verses 18 and 19. First of all, here's the guy's plan. All right, I got all this money. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger barns. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Now, in that society, to build bigger barns meant basically that you were creating a capacity to pile up your wealth. Maybe like, you know, we've got these uh, grain bins that you see and you go into a small town, these big, huge, tall elevators where they got all of the, of the grain. This guy's just building elevator after elevator. He is just stacking it up. He has got more grain than he could ever sell in a lifetime. Bigger barns was kind of like bigger banks, bigger places to put your money. Now, if you're merely living for this life, it makes perfect sense to accumulate everything that you can. Don't you think? I mean, if, if you're living for today and you're living for the here and now, he who with the to- most toys wins. You've heard that. And if you haven't heard it, you've seen people living by that. This is the materialist. This is the person who's living for the here and the now. You maybe you've heard the definition of a materialist, somebody who buys things they can't afford to impress people they don't like. And it is true. That is our society. That's the world that we live in. He goes on to say this, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He wants to take it easy. Now that sounds pretty good. Most of us do that sounds really good to me. I could use a week or two or a year or two of taking it easy. I wouldn't mind that at all. Not a worry, not a concern. Eat, Drinking, merriment, this is as good as it gets for the materialist. So the picture here is of the entirely self-consumed man. He is all about self. He is living for self. He is leveraging his resources for himself. There are no thoughts of God. There are no thoughts of eternity. There are no thoughts of anybody else but himself. Again, I want to say does this not sound like what most Americans are hoping for? Is this not the American dream? To get to a place where you have so much, I hear, I mean, you probably hear this, family, friends, or whatever. We want to make so much money that we can retire early. We're willing to sell our soul to the material devil if we can retire by age 50, whatever, 40, whatever, 30, whatever. This is the ideal. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. If this is the ideal, what if Jesus intends to turn the American ideal upside down? Is that a message that an American church is willing to hear, wants to hear, open to hearing? Because what happens now in the story is the thing that this fellow certainly didn't want to think about and what uh, in America we do our very best to avoid. You're listening to The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt in a thought-provoking message titled, The Foolishness of a Non-Generous Life. If you tuned in late, you'll find this message and others from our generosity series online at thejourney.fm. Just look for the tab labeled Current Series. Well, as believers, we're considered sojourners in this world as we journey through life. Our ultimate destination isn't merely a location, but rather a profound relationship with Jesus Christ, who lights our path and imparts purpose to each step we take. That's why every day on the journey, we extend the message of the gospel to our listeners through both radio and the web, enabling them to nurture their connection with Jesus Christ. But as a listener-supported program, we couldn't do it without you. 
The journey relies in part on the financial gifts of generous friends just like you. It allows us to share the truth of the gospel to listeners all around the world. So would you give today? Your gift of any amount will make a big impact. The number to call is 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or make a quick and easy donation online at thejourney.fm. And when you do, we'll say thanks by sending you an encouraging book by best-selling author Randy Elkhorn. It's titled The Treasure Principle. It's a helpful and practical guide that will teach you how to steward God's resources well, live generously, and in doing so, find great joy in your everyday life. You can request your copy today when you call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763 or visit thejourney.fm. And while you're there, be sure to sign up to receive updates from The Journey. Just scroll to the box at the bottom of the page and then enter your name and email. I'm Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Steve continues today's message, The Foolishness of a Non-Generous Life. That's Tuesday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.